I'm, I'm old school. Just give me a plain Bible, notepad, and let's get into it. So, guys, if you notice, this is identity crisis, all right? I think if we look around and do some self-examination, we could all agree that this world and this generation we're in, there is an identity crisis. People are struggling with knowing who they are, where they come from, what their purpose is. How many guys ever struggle knowing what your purpose is? Y'all lying. I'm going to get Danny in here, and he's going to preach about lying because he always threatens about it. So, guys... Simple question is, are we in a crisis? And I think if we look around and see the condition the world is, we can say, yes, this world's an identity crisis. Our friends are in an identity crisis. There's times when we go through seasons of an identity crisis, right? The struggle's real. How many of us can say the struggle's real, right? There we go. Thank you. So, guys, we're going to begin this, and I want to kind of give a, a little op, uh, illustration here. And basically... We're going to talk about what a namesake is. You guys know what that is? Kind no. You just you gave me a salute. That's not an answer. <laughs> what was that? We're going to get to that. That's going to be on a slide. I'll tell you in a second. You got to wait. So I want to talk about one of the most influential people. Well, not of your generation, but even before my generation. Wow, I'm old. Well, one of the most influential men of the 20th century. I want you to know that on his birth certificate, there's a handwritten note in black ink. The man we all know as Martin Luther King Jr. was born with the name of Michael King. Michael King. Why you, don't, don't you even go with the whole black, he picked up, no, don't you even start. I know where you're going with this. So his name was originally Michael King, and guys, everybody just called him Mike. Everybody just called him Mike. So when Michael King's father who was a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, he, uh, his church sent him on a worldwide trip, and it ended in Berlin, all right? By the way, if our church could be willing to send me on a worldwide trip, get a GoFundMe page. See her, I'm going on vacation. She's not in here, is she? Oh, sweet. Well, mama don't know, won't hurt her. I'm kidding. Don't tell her I said that. Yeah. But anyways, their trip ended in Berlin, and they attended a large meeting of church leaders, and Reverend King saw the place where in 1517 a German monk, right, that's right, German and monk, makes absolutely no sense, German monk named Martin Luther nailed his famous list to the door of the church, sparking the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Guys, it was one of the biggest movements in the Christian church. You guys can find all kinds of commentaries about Martin Luther, I'm, I'm a... I'm a nerd with that. Like, I will study theology, old school people. I, I study that. Martin Luther led such a transform, uh, 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 such a change in that generation that we can see how it's impacted today. All right? Now, when he encountered this, this experience profoundly changed Reverend King. So when he returned back home to Atlanta, Georgia in 1934, he decided to change both his name and his son's name. Young Mike King became the namesake of Martin Luther at a young age. Yeah, look at that. Wow. Y'all can read. So guys... So a lot of people who studied Martin Luther King, this is biographers, they note that this name change for him was biblical. 
It was very biblical. See, Jacob became Israel, Saul became Paul, and Simon became Peter. So we know that in the case of Martin Luther King Jr., right, he certainly lived up to his namesake, did he not? He was named after Martin Luther the monk who led a great change in the world for Christ, and look what Martin Luther King did. He led a great change bringing peace and unity, right? He influenced the world. You know, there, there's studies that go on about Reverend King where he would spend hours in prayer. I mean, my hat goes off like hours in prayer. I remember I read one that said four hours. Can you imagine spending four hours in prayer? Y'all saying right now, I would fall asleep. How many of y'all, how many of y'all fall asleep after 10 minutes of prayer? <laughs> Brandon's like, yep. <laughs> That's awesome. So when I really started getting into devotions when I was younger, and I kind of got out on my own, I would wake up early, and I would totally like fall asleep for at least 15 minutes before I even got, I'd be asleep at the table and wake up like, oh, I'm supposed to be talking to you, God. <clears throat> so, yes. So in many ways, Martin Luther King is the perfect example of a namesake. Like the man after whom he was named, Dr. King became a great reformer who worked for the freedoms of many people. And those of you who want to know what definition of namesake What a namesake is meant to do is they take up the work and passions of the person they are named for. They take up the work and passions of the person they are named for. Guys, I, I really, this, is, this kind of really hits home because I was resonating and, and meditating on this. I started thinking back when I moved here to Missouri and I started living at Pastor Yoder's house. Like, yeah, yeah, you weren't even here yet. And guys, what I loved was I would come down on Saturdays and I'd see this man preach. I see how passionate he was. I was like, this is amazing. I want to be able to have that kind of influence. Not in a selfish way, but I want to know what that is. Well, how, how do you get to that point? And so basically, I started living on his couch and he started discipling me. We're going to get into that later in the, in, the, in the sermon. So as we begin talking about namesakes, because they point to the issue of identity. And guys, let's face it, this is one of the most foundational needs for us as people. I'm gonna get into my oopsies. So how often do we or do you ponder? Do you take time out of your day to slow down sometimes? And the loneliness and the quietness, and how often do you think, you know, where'd I come from or what purpose do I have in life? And guys, as we seek to discover our identity, we, we look in a lot of places. Can we all agree that we look in a lot of places to find our identity? Like putting candy wrapper on our friend's face. Not going to find it there, sister. Some of you guys look into your hobbies. Some of you guys look into Facebook, characters on TV, celebrities, TikTok, careers, friends, or people that say they accept you. Guys, this world's going to offer all kinds of things for you to feel comfortable to say who you're going to find who you are. Guys, if we don't get that right, our foundation is already ruined. I want you to understand this. Typically, whatever has the greatest influence in our lives, we adopt its namesake. You processing? 
What has the greatest influence in your life? Is it God? Is it someone godly? Is it spiritual friends? Is it unspiritual friends? Is it social media? Is it your sports? Is it your hobbies? What has the greatest influence in your life? So, in the search, if we can find where our name comes from, whose namesake we are, in this moment we begin to see our God-given identity and live with God-given authority in the context of God-given community. Guys, what does that mean? What does that mean? How many of you guys struggle with confidence? You don't have to raise your hand. I'd, I'd say we've all struggled with confidence. We all have some insecurities, right? Guys, I want you to know that the Bible says he knew you before the foundations of the earth. The Bible says he knit you together in your mother's womb. And the reality of it is, sin got into the world, and it opened up a door where we've forgotten who we belong to. So we try to find these temporary fixes to try to find out who we are, how we want to talk, how we want to act, how we want to think. And we end up feeling empty and we go from one thing to another thing to another thing because we don't realize that we belong to God. He knows you. I know some of you felt alone. Some of you felt miserable. Some of you felt like nobody cared. God cares. He does. So, knowing your foundation. So when we become believers, we become the namesake of Christ. So that means you take up his work. That means you take up his passions. Anybody know what, what, what Christian means? Anybody? Come on now. God, oh, come on. All right. Seriously? What does the word Christian mean? Dylan. Okay. Why? Did, did the apostles give themselves the name? No. Who gave them the name? Who gave them the name? The people. Why? They had his passions. They did his work. They did the same things he did. So let me ask you this. If people recognized your life outside of this building, outside of Sundays, outside of Wednesdays, would they be able to call you Christian? Or would they more likely call you a professional gamer or a professional TikToker or a semi-pro athlete? <laughs> so, guys, no, no, you're not. 2K does not count. You're horrible at it, by the way. Good night. ELE, everybody love everybody. So, guys, when we become believers, we become the namesake of Christ. And I'll tell you how this happened at the end. I didn't realize it until I went through the sermon. It's going to be pretty cool. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. Guys, Scripture is loaded with telling you who you are and who you belong to. If you really look at the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, he was always preaching the gospel because it was the power of God. And why was he always preaching the gospel to believers already? So they could remember who they belonged to. You guys live in a world that has so many distractions, so many things that glitter, so many things that keep you busy, so you don't 
Observe yourself. Examine yourself. The Bible says to examine ourselves. But the devil wants to keep you so busy, so distracted, you forget who you belong to. So Ephesians 5, 1, 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Imitators of God. Why? Because you're dearly loved children. Don't forget it. You're dearly loved. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. Let me ask you this. Who has a greater influence in your life? Who? Who should, right? God. No, I'm getting emotional because I'm just kidding. So our identity comes from him. So we look around and see others frantically working to establish some kind of identity, some kind of belonging, some kind of purpose. But for us, as namesakes of Christ, we can work from the identity we've already been given. It's our foundation. How many of you guys understand that if you don't have a strong foundation, you ain't going to be good at anything? You can't build it, right? You can't build anything on it. So when you know your foundation, guys, when you know your foundation, you will discover what living in your true identity means, exercising the kingdom authority that he gives you. Basically, you have confidence and freedom. Confidence and freedom. I don't know how many of you, I can read body language. I can pick up how your guys' attitude fluctuates all the time. I can tell when you are miserable, when you're insecure. I can tell when you're faking it. I can tell when you put a mask on. I can tell when there's really something going on and you're just fighting God about it. but I pray and I wait for the right time to talk to you about it. A lot of us struggle with confidence. That's why we don't reach out to people. That's why we stay introverted. That's why we don't want to have new friends. Because we struggle with our foundation. And secondly, we will find that our promise with God points us towards others, not away from them. Guys, one thing I always try to encourage with the consistent people that come to this youth group is I always want you to reach out and meet new people. I always want you to make new people feel welcomed. I don't like the segregation clicks. It drives me insane. God loved us so we can express that love to other people so they can have a chance, so they can hear a message, so they can be loved, cared for. So let's begin this journey by answering a foundational question. Who are you? All right, that's going to be the question is, who are you? I didn't click it. She's clicking it. This is for me.
Guys, you should, she put a lot of work in helping me get these slides together because I'm not that sophisticated. So thank you, Acacia. So guys, this story we're going to talk about, growing up, it was like my dad's favorite story in the Bible, and I never understood why. I thought it was like weird. And as we read it, you're going to be like, this is weird. But you're going to realize it's, it's kind of similar to today. When we break these, this scripture down, we're going to realize it's not that much different. And just a fun fact, um, we're going to be in the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about Paul being at the church in Ephesus, all right? And those verses I pulled from Ephesians, I did not, like, put the two and two together. It just kind of, it was a God thing. I was like, oh, that makes sense. I know. I was like, Lord, Lord, you're, you're funny, but you're good. So, I want you guys to know, so, backstory, all right? Backstory, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. So, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. So this story takes place in Ephesus, and Paul is on his third missionary journey, okay? And Ephesus was kind of like a central location in Asia. It had a harbor. It had ports. It was just like in the middle of everything, and just different cultures crossed all the time. They were rich. They were busy. And so Paul seen this, and he was like, hey, it'd be smart to start preaching the gospel here right? So it was a wise move because the church in Ephesus became the most important church in the world and it survived for over 400 years. You know what's crazy is like today's churches, church plants on average last two years, if that, lucky to get to five. And to think that this church lasted for 400 years, I think we should probably pay attention to Paul's instructions in Ephesians, but you can do that homework later. What? 19, Acts 19. So, Paul quickly found that while the people in Ephesus had heard of Jesus, they did not wholly understand his saving work, and therefore they did not fully follow him. What does that mean? How many, how many people that you've ever shared the gospel with or talked about church, how many of them said, oh, I know God or I know Jesus? How many typically ask them, oh, yeah, I know Jesus? No, they don't know Jesus. They heard of Jesus. They don't know Jesus. Half the time when people say, yeah, I know Jesus, they're typical friends that kind of like iffy on church, or they say, oh yeah, I believe in God, or I know, I, know, I know Jesus. No. So, ooh, where did I go? Yeah. So, a lot of people say they know Jesus, but what they really mean is they have only heard of him. So, what's amazing is these people in Ephesus, they know about him, but they weren't following him, right? How many, how many of you guys know somebody or been that person that I know about God, but I'm just not following him at this time? We've all been there. We've all done it, right? So Paul, he preached in the synagogues, and when opposition and, and, and difficulties grew, and what, what happened in the synagogues? What were they? Louder. Churches, right? So Paul's preaching to his Hebrew brothers. But they had hard hearts, hard heads. How many of you guys know somebody with a hard head? How many of you have a hard head? There you go. <laughs> Fingers started pointing. They're like, yep, yep. Everybody turned on each other. So after he was at the synagogues, he started moving to the public square. Guys, for two years, Paul preached the word. Two years, he was at the public square preaching. He was consistent. He didn't give up. He stayed on mission. 
for the namesake of Christ. But understand this, Paul didn't only preach, right? The Holy Spirit at work in him also led to many miracles in Ephesus. And I know miracles can almost be like a foreign word to us sometimes because we only read about it in books or in the Bible. See, those who didn't fully understand the way of Jesus sought to imitate this portion of Paul's ministry instead of his true discipleship. People seen the highlights of what Paul was doing and said, I want to do that. A lot similar to, well, I mean, when I seen Danny preach, I was like, ah, oh, that looks fun. But it wasn't easy. I, I quickly learned that Danny was a real man of God. He was underneath the discipleship of Jesus, and he was spending time with them. See, the people in Ephesus didn't realize that's what Paul was doing. The Holy Spirit was being stirred up day in, day out, morning, evening. You want to walk? I really believe we don't see miracles nowadays because people don't understand what true discipleship is. They're being filled more with technology, gossip, idols, they can't feel what God like they should be. So these people seen this and they're like, man, I want to be like Paul. Drums, for example. I'm not saying I'm great at it. I'm getting better. But what I'm telling you is, I know a lot of you guys are like, oh, I want to play drums. You see on a Sunday. Let me ask you this. Do you see the time I spend Tuesday practice? Do you see the time I spend an hour before we have practice? Ask, that, ask Sterling, Cheyenne. I'm here, usually here an hour before working on stuff before they get here. When I hear songs throughout the day, I'm practicing. I'm picking it apart. I'm working on it. A lot of you guys don't see that. It's not just jumping back there and just going crazy. No. It's the work of God because I prayed earnestly. God, I need you to do something in me in this because I ain't got it. And he was faithful. Uncoordinated. So, Guys, basically the sons of Sceva, can you say Sceva? Sceva. I think when I hear that, I think of like Napoleon Dynamite. Sceva. You guys know Napoleon Dynamite? How many of you guys know Napoleon Dynamite? Raise your hand. All right, your childhood is awesome. Napoleon Dynamite. Teeny, you fat lord, come get your dinner. Love it. <laughs> so guys, the sons of Sceva, right? Sceva, he was a well-known Jewish chief priest, right? Listen, come on, focus, rope it in. All right, sons of Sceva, their dad, was a well-known chief priest. Basically, he was ranked very high in the church. He was looked up to, he was respected. So these boys had a sense of entitlement, a sense of, well, well, if Paul can do it, we can I mean, look at our dad. Look what he does. Look what we grew up with. Paul can do what I can. See, the sons of Sceva desired to gain the same kind of affirmation that Paul had through healings. But guess what? They quickly learned that using Jesus' name and being Jesus' namesake are two different things. Read it again. Using Jesus' name and being Jesus' namesake are two different things. So important, guys. Because you can use his name all day you want, 
and you still ain't going to find your identity. <clears throat> so, in these two years that Paul was in Ephesus, it was clear he was the namesake of Christ, right? He spoke and taught persuasively. He helped many people come to understand and got them to join in the body of Christ. He was a namesake of Christ because he was preaching like Christ. He was devoted to God like Christ. He spent time in prayer like Christ. He spent time loving other people like Christ. Guess what? He also spent time getting hated like Christ. He spent time giving truth. Guess what? You can give truth and be hated and still be a namesake for Christ. Are you communicating it lovingly? Are you stating on that truth? Are you compromising it? Because you're like, well, i got to be like Jesus. I'm just going to give this up. No. Jesus came in the sanctuary one time with a bullwhip, and he was whooping people. Jesus gave tough lessons. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible combined. Jesus was preaching truth. And that's what Paul was doing. So we're going to learn that the Holy Spirit was evident through Paul's teachings, and it was also apparent through miracles connected to Paul. Guys, Paul's life was a testimony to the name of Jesus. Is yours? Acts 19, 8 through 20, all right? Acts 19, 8 through 20. You want to read it? Come here, princess, right here. All right, guys, please pay attention. The verses are up here also. She probably has a weird version. Actually, just read the screen. Just read the screen. Okay. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now some of the... That's a big word. Inten, that word. Just Jew, say Jews. <laughs> some of the Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. Uh, the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to... <laughs> she said naked. It's in the Bible, so it's okay. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. 
So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. Beautiful. Thank you, Grace. Give her a round of applause. Guys, it's no different than today. See, these people in Ephesus wanted to be like Paul. They wanted to be powerful and influential. Guys, it's very easy to see powerful, influential people in the world and say, man, I just want to be just like them. Like, I was inspired by how influential Danny was, but I had to understand there was more to it than just a Sunday or a Saturday at the time. He spent genuine time knowing the Lord. <clears throat> but instead of seeking to follow Paul's footsteps by joining the family of believers in Jesus, they just tried to use Jesus and Paul's name to cast out demons. <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't know. There we go. So, guys, basically what it came down to is they seen how awesome this was. They seen the fame that Paul was getting and they're like, they wanted to make a splash. But guess what? They didn't know that the source of the splash is Jesus. Jesus' name is not some magical word you use and throw around. It's not. See, magic was very dominant in this culture in Ephesus. So they just thought it was a magic trick. I'll use Jesus' name and it'll come out. I'll even talk about Paul doesn't work doesn't work Jesus is the source Cheyenne's up here singing and playing great the source isn't coming from her or just her saying Jesus the source is coming from Jesus because she spends time with Jesus she says what are you preaching on I tell her she takes time in prayer to figure out what's best to help lead us into worship So, while they invoked the right names to try to cast out demons, right? They said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you, come out. But they didn't try to live as namesakes of Jesus or even Paul. They tried to use the names of powerful people to create a powerful magical spell. And what happened? They got the brakes beat off of them. I love it. The, the demon said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. The demon said, he knows Paul. How many of you can live a life, preach a life, have an intimacy with God on such a level that even the demons would know your name? Because Christ is the source. I got goosebumps on that one. See, this kind of scary episode served as a corrective for many in Ephesus. They had begun to treat the name of Jesus with great honor. That episode, see, Paul lived such an example, did all these things, and these imposters came in, and they could have hit that standard. And these people looked at that testimony and said, oh, no, we, we, we messed up. Y'all ever been in a situation where you're like, I done messed up, or you've seen someone do something, you're like, they done messed up. You lock a door in here, you done messed up. (laughs) 
So, guys, what happened was they began to treat the name of Jesus with great honor. Let me ask you this. How do you treat Jesus' name outside of these walls? Around your lost friends? At school? With relatives? Do you treat it with great honor? With your words, with your actions, with your mindset, with your attitude, with your thoughts? And what they did was they stopped treating the name of Jesus like magic and they got rid of all their tools of sorcery and their occult. And the process, they destroyed all the sorcery scrolls worth more than 135 years of daily wages. That's a lot of money. They destroyed it all. They realized if it wasn't about Jesus, they weren't going to listen to it. If it wasn't about Jesus, it wasn't going to influence their life. That's what they understood. So what lengths are you willing to go? These people destroyed all this stuff worth that much money. Let me ask you this. What kind of influential idol do you have in your life, and are you willing to cut it off? Because you know you're putting God second, third, fourth, fifth, or last. And then we try to say, well, in Jesus' name, fix this. And Jesus is like, uh, where you been? So as the people in Ephesus began to repent and follow God's commands in this manner, the word of the Lord spread, all right, spread like wildfire. Jesus' true namesakes now demonstrated the power that many had tried to usurp. No, I'm not talking about syrup. You fall asleep first, you're going to get covered in syrup. I'm just kidding. No. Usurp. You guys know what the definition of usurp means? Great. Means to take or steal something without legal authority. To take or steal something without legal authority. What did these sons of Sceva do? They tried to steal and take the power and authority that was only given by Jesus and use it, and they had no right to. Again, this story probably seems strange, strange to us, but it raises a crucial question. Are you following Jesus, or are you merely trying to use his name? Are you following Jesus, or are you merely just trying to use his name? And that can come in many forms. That can come by just showing up with a hard heart, pretending to play church. Yep, I use Jesus' name today. I'm clean. I look good. See, this kind of question, if we take time to really reflect on our life, this can cause an identity crisis like the sons of Sceva had when the demon asked them, who are you? The demon asked them, who are you? So we're going to see what we can learn from this question of who are you. So we can move from an identity in crisis to an identity in Christ. Um, awesome, another great illustration. How many of you guys know this guy? <laughs> that is a handsome man right there.
All right, E-L-E, E-L-E. Everybody love everybody. <laughs> so a funny story. How many of you guys, how many of you guys are like close to being 16? Or how many of you guys are 16? That's fine. So Ferdinand Damara, all right, this guy, he ran away from home to become a monk at the age of 16. I don't know how many of y'all are eager to run away to go be a monk, but good luck. A monk is someone who lives a holy life set apart. They don't get married. They, sometimes they get quite, yeah, they're like a nun. Yeah. So basically, he, he left at age 16 to go do that. Guys, you want to pay attention. This guy's pretty interesting. So soon after he left, he joined the United States Army, and that's where the trouble began. Damara became famous because he was an incredible imposter. Imposter. Can we, can we all say imposter? Imposter. All right. Listen. Listen. So throughout his life, he impersonated medical doctors, an engineer, law enforcement officer, a psychologist, a hospital worker, a lawyer, two different types of monks, an editor, a pastor, a cancer researcher, and a teacher. He's faked suicides, stolen the identities of friends and strangers, and founded a state-chartered college. And he even performed successful surgeries as a trauma surgeon aboard a naval destroyer during the Korean War. Amazingly, no one died under his care. I'm not going to answer that question. I'll let you go home and tell your mom, Mom, you don't have to go to school to be a nurse. <laughs> Guys, so understand this. Growing up, when I was a kid, I was your age, how many of you guys have always desired to be like somebody else? Like, man, I want to be like them. Or you wanted to be, you know, I always, like, I, loved, I looked up to my dad, and he was all about sports, so I was all about sports. Well, I wanted to imitate his favorite football player. Oh, what? Dude, we going old school, bro. So I wanted to imitate my dad's favorite football player, and it was Barry Sanders. How many of you guys know who Barry Sanders is? So, yeah, so I wanted to imitate Barry Sanders. So what's amazing, guys, is I watched these highlight films in my football career, and I always tried to do those things on the football field, and I realized they weren't as easy as what he made them look. It was very difficult. See, I didn't, didn't see, I only seen the highlights on YouTube. I didn't see the work he did to get to that point. But I wanted to imitate him so bad. I was going to have to color myself a little bit darker, but I wanted to be like him so bad. So Ferdinand, Ferdinand DeMar only spent 18 months in jail for his impersonation crimes. He lived his life by an interesting code, and he was quoted for saying there are only two rules. The burden of proof is on the accuser, and when in danger, attack. Now, some of you guys are going to be in danger later when I saran wrap you. That doesn't mean attack each other. We're going to get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Guys, DeMar was good at one thing. Okay, he was good at one thing. Shh. Guys, 
I know when Danny's up here preaching, you guys give him way more respect, and I'm asking you to give me the same, please. So this man was good at one thing. He successfully used the names of others falsely. This reminds us of the sons of Sceva and what they were doing in the passage. They wanted to use the name of Jesus and Paul to accomplish their purpose. But they quickly found out that trying to manipulate the name of Jesus was a bad idea. I think we can all say that we've been imposters at one time in our life. So, application right here. I got some questions, guys. Who are you? Are you just defined by your family, their last name, their accomplishments? Are you known by your accomplishments, your social status, ethnicity? No. Are you identified by what other people tell you, who they say you are? How many of us are going to sit here and say no, but if we look at the evidence and fruit of our life and actions, it's speaking something different? See, if we try to anchor all, our soul identity in these things, you're going to find yourself in an identity crisis. And it goes through seasons, guys. See, but when we believe in Jesus, we move from identity crisis to an identity in Christ. I can't push that enough. It's the foundation. This foundation is our starting point. The truth is, truth is that none of these identifiers are the sources of our identities. They're just bite-sized influencers. See, if we try to find our identities and things, we're going to find ourselves failing and falling into a crisis. I'm going to butcher this name. It's Henry Nowian. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Says, listen guys, listen to this quote. I should have put this in the notes. It says, the world tells you many lies about who you are. And you simply have to be realistic. Realistic enough to remind yourself of this. Every time you feel hurt. How many of you guys have felt hurt? How many of you guys have been offended? How many of you guys have been rejected? Or how many times you've dared to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth is, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity and held safe in everlasting belief. Guys, your feelings and emotions, they don't think, they lack intellect. A lot of us struggle controlling our feelings because we don't know what God's word tells us. We don't understand the promises. We don't take time to study them. I tell you what, a lot of you would not struggle with depression as much, anxiety as much, social anxiety, feeling insecure. If we stopped holding on to those feelings and emotions that we get from the world being mean to us, and we started holding on to God's truth, having real conversations with our Father who sent His Son on our behalf so we could have access to Him. See, a lot of us need to move from the crisis that we have to identity in Christ. 
We are so rooted in Christ. This foundation becomes our starting point, our origin, and the cornerstone that every gift and every quirk and every trait and every identifier is built upon. Guys, this foundation is so important because you can use it to test every single label the world wants to place on you. I don't know if you guys remember, years ago we would do lock-ins and we had special activities where I would put in a room all kinds of labels and I would tell the kids, hey, go find one that fits you best. Go find one that you really believe in. Guys, your feelings, emotions, the world's going to tell you all kinds of lies, but you need to know what God has to say. And if it doesn't sing in harmony with your identity in Christ, then it's not true. It's not. See, Jesus wants us to live as his namesake. He wants us not to just do his work as the sons of Sceva tried to do, but to live in his way. That's why I believe community is so important. That's why I believe you guys being close is important. So in closing, guys, we don't have to live an identity crisis. Instead, we can receive and live out an identity in Christ by being part of a family, being encouraged, being taught, being raised and washed in the word of God because that's what we should stand upon. And we can walk in confidence with our God-given identity. But to do that, you have to move from an identity crisis to an identity in Christ. I'm going to repeat it and repeat it until it's drilled in your head. So where are you right now? Where are you right now? In your heart, in your soul, where are you right now? Are you... Where, are you no, oh, and where do you want to be? My bad. I was going to go somewhere else with that. Wrong note. Where do you want to be? Where are you right now, and where do you want to be? How many of us could say we are where we want to be, we've arrived, and we're, that's it? See God's, always need, see, God's always molding us, sanctifying us, working on us, helping us grow. Guys, if you're not yet where you want to be, this is good news. An identity crisis can be just the thing we need to start the journey toward an identity in Christ. Guys, in closing, your identity is a gift from God, not something you can earn. You can't earn it by doing the miracles. You can't earn it by doing the fancy things. That's not what it's about. It's a gift from God. The same way salvation is a gift from God. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads, please. No looking around. All confidential. Eyes closed. Heads bowed. How many of us would be honest here and say, hey, I haven't been the great, greatest example of a namesake for Christ. How many of us could say we could do better, right? How many of us say we could do better? Right? How many of us could be honest and say, you know what? I really don't know Jesus. I don't really under, I haven't spent that time to know him, and I'm miserable in where I'm at. I don't know who I am, but I want to know. I want to start somewhere. How many of us could say, hey, I want to know the purpose God has for me, right? Guys, the 
greatest gift, the greatest gift of all is salvation. And that's where your building blocks start. I want you to keep your eyes closed. I'm just going to paint you a picture, right? I'm going to paint you a picture of a God who is holy, perfect. He doesn't need us. But he looked down and he said, you know what? I'm going to love you anyways. And he sent his son, his only son. See, God being righteous and holy, his wrath has to be satisfied. You might not like it. You might not agree it. He doesn't care. He's God. So he sent his son, fully God, fully man. And I, I love this picture of him being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying to his father the night before his execution. He's praying to his father, asking that this cup be passed. He's so anxious, so nervous, so scared, he's sweating blood. Because he knows the magnitude of what he's going to have to go through. He wasn't sweating blood, being scared and worried because of a cat's of nine tails and a few nails in his arms. and like, no. He was sweating blood because he knew that he was going to have to pay the price of our sins. In Isaiah, it says it pleased God to crush him on our behalf. God's wrath had to be justified for you and for me. Because he wants you to be his namesake. He doesn't want you to be an imitator. He wants you to know that you're loved. Guys, I'm going to pray over you, but I want to encourage you. If you're struggling with who you are, you need help. It starts being on your knees. It starts getting before God and pleading with Him, wanting Him, seeking Him earnestly, not just once a week. So guys, I'm going to pray over you and this altar is open. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the price that your son paid on the cross for us so we can have access to you, to know you, to have confidence in the life you've given us. Because, Lord, you give life and you give it abundantly. No one can come to the Father except through you, Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that you open the hearts of these youth, renew their mind, and help them know that we're not where we want to be yet, but Lord, we can be by starting on our knees first and spending time with you. In Jesus' name, amen.